It's time for Decal Download, your source for news and information from the Georgia Department of Early Care and Learning. We'll hear from Commissioner Amy M. Jacobs and special guests to give you an update on all things Decal. This is Decal Download. Downloading now. And welcome back to Decal Download. I'm Rich Griffin, Chief Communications Officer here at the Georgia Department of Early Care and Learning, along with Commissioner Amy Jacobs. Well, last summer, DECAL joined the governor's office and the Georgia Department of Public Health in providing COVID-19 guidance for Georgia child care facilities. Now, at almost a year into the pandemic and public health emergency, we have updated that guidance to support providers, teachers, and of course, Georgia's children and families. And Commissioner, today we will discuss those updates, but first we have some news concerning child care teachers and staff and Georgia's pre-K teachers soon being eligible for the COVID-19 vaccines. Yes, breaking news. Um, Last week, the governor announced an expansion of those eligible to receive the COVID vaccine, and that includes our child care teachers and staff, and of course, our Georgia pre-K teachers and assistant teachers. Um, He also opened it up to uh, K-12 teachers as well. So uh, we want to thank the governor and his team um, at the governor's office and definitely at DPH and GEMA. for adding this really, really important group of individuals to be eligible for the vaccine. And that opens up March 8th. You want, you're not eligible until March 8th, um, but we'll talk about in a minute, there are ways you can go ahead and get registered so you can get in line for that vaccine. And you had been hearing from uh, child care providers and uh, pre-K teachers, I think, uh, all along once they put the plan together. And I know you've been working with them and also working with the governor's office to make this a reality. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of uh, child care teachers reached out uh, wanting to have access to the vaccine because, as we all know, child care is critically important to our economic recovery. And these child care programs have been open from day one. You know, some of them made a decision to temporarily close, but right now about 98 percent of them are open and serving children five days a week, 12 hours a day. And so um, we know that we need them to be uh, to be healthy so that they can continue to serve children so their families can go to work. Absolutely. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, Here are the comments from Governor Brian Kemp in a news conference held February the 25th at the state capitol. We must have every student back in the classroom five days a week statewide. To ensure that happens as quickly as possible, effective March 8th, pre-K, K-12, public and private school teachers and faculty, and the Department of Early Care and Learning educators and staff will now be eligible for the vaccine. We cannot say thank you enough to our teachers, school staff, administrators, early childhood educators, and countless others who have persevered through these truly unprecedented times. The vast majority of these hardworking Georgians have been in the classroom since last fall, and I appreciate the school systems and early learning and daycare facilities who have adapted and put interests of their students and children first, whether in person, hybrid, staggered, or online only, each local school system did what they thought worked best for their communities. And as a local control governor, I respected that decision. But moving forward, we cannot delay full in-person learning any longer. Our children cannot afford to wait until fall. The costs are simply too high. So what do teachers and child care staff need to do at this point? 
So uh, right now, um, obviously, again, they become eligible on March 8th. That, that would be the first day they could receive the vaccine. Uh, there are several different ways to register in several different places across the state to receive it. So our recommendation at this point is you can register. You can go ahead and register at myvaccinegeorgia.com. And that's registering for those mass vaccination sites that there are four, four or five across the state. And they will contact you uh, when you have an appointment. So that's one option. Um, you can also go to the Department of Public Health's website, and that is dph.georgia.gov. And that will connect you to your local health departments. There's a form that you fill out and identify that you are a child care teacher or staff. Um, and then it will go from there. You can also uh, connect with your local health department. Many of them are doing appointments by phone or on their own uh, registration system. And also at that DPH site, uh, we'll give you access to the big pharmacies and grocery store pharmacies that have the vaccine available, where you can also register uh, close to your home or place of work, places like CVS, Walgreens, and Kroger. So uh, right now, we encourage you to go to uh, one of those two sites and go ahead and register so you're in line to get that vaccine. And I know the question has come up, do they need any kind of proof uh, when they register for the vaccine that they are a child care provider or teacher or staff? You know, right now uh, we're hearing that there, there's not going to be any burdens uh, placed on the teacher to provide a tremendous amount of documentation. Uh, we don't know at this point what exactly that might be. We're still working with the Department of Public Health to uh, put that in their guidance. And we can be back in touch when we know if there's anything specific or in addition to uh, that they will need to provide, uh, you know, besides that they probably are a Georgia resident and, and basic personal information. And that, of course, they work for a child care program that is licensed or exempt by DECAL or, or if they're a Georgia pre-K teacher or assistant teacher. Right. Great news for uh, the child care community. And again, uh, we've been hearing from folks and, and working behind the scenes to make this happen. And Commissioner Jacobs, uh, along with Governor Kemp, uh, Dr. Toomey and everyone that's involved, uh, just great work uh, from all of them. That There was a little bit of confusion, I think, early on when the announcement was made. Um, the reference was made to decal staff, and we may want to address that. This is not really applicable to our decal staff, per se. That's correct, and I think it's just uh, semantics with everyone trying to get the word out as quickly as possible. Um, I believe what where he was referencing was um, any decal type programs like licensed child care or exempt uh, child care programs. Uh, so no, right now it is not uh, available for decal staff that actually work for the department. Right. And we're still doing the, the virtual observations and, and a lot of our working from home, uh, obviously. So at this point, really, it, it's not a um, it's not imperative for us to to be a part of that group. Right. It's definitely our priority to make sure that uh, those teachers that are in the classroom every single day have access to those vaccines first, because we do have the opportunity to work from home and do these things virtually. And as soon as we can, we will definitely ask to have especially our frontline staff who uh, should uh, be back in programs as soon as possible to have access to that vaccine. Right. Absolutely. Wanted to clarify that. So great news. Again, go to myvaccinegeorgia.com to pre-register and uh, most of the information uh, is there uh, for you to be prepared for March the 8th, which is coming up right around the corner. So make sure you uh, take advantage of that. Uh, it fits in well with our topic on today's podcast, uh, talking about updates and changes to our COVID-19 guidance for Georgia child care 
facilities. Joining us today, Pam Stevens, Deputy Commissioner of Child Care Services. April Rogers is CCS Director of Enforcement Operations. And our friend Ebony Thomas, epidemiologist with the Georgia Department of Public Health. Ladies, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Always fun. (laughs) Well, we hope so. And, you know, trying to get information out to all of our audience, and that's providers and parents and uh, teachers and the general public. Uh, You know, Pam, as we mentioned, we're almost a full year into the COVID-19 pandemic and public health emergency. Overall, how is Georgia childcare doing in responding to this situation and serving children and families? You know, they've done an amazing job. Childcare was never closed. You know, the childcare community understood that families had to work. There were essential workers in the workforce. There were people who were first responders or people selling us groceries and they had to have childcare. And we certainly respected those childcare programs that felt the need to close too. This was a very stressful thing for everyone, but they've done an amazing job. They've been so careful. You know, the whole point of childcare is to keep children healthy and safe. And so they already have really strong practices around, you know, all those things about sanitation and hand washing and all the things that we require all the time to prevent any kind of infectious disease spread. So they were well positioned to do a good job with this. And I think, you know, one of the things that really shows how well they've done is since November 1st, we've only had 1.7% of our childcare providers had that had to do any kind of temporary closure due to COVID. And that might not even be that they had a case of COVID there that might've been due to exposure. So that is just such a, a small percentage of programs, you know, because they've done such an amazing job. Now, I will tell you, when you ask about how is childcare doing, they are also hurting because attendance is not the same. And, um, you, you know, that's their business. And a lot of people are still working from home. And a lot of people are being very cautious with their families, which we totally understand. So they've done an amazing job. They've had to work harder. They've had more to do to, to help keep people safe. And at the same time, their businesses are suffering. Mm. So April, last summer, uh, your team got together with the governor's office and the Georgia Department of Public Health to create the COVID-19 guidance for child care facilities. And then this past December, we updated that guidance. What areas were specifically updated and what are the major changes to that guidance? Yeah, um, one of the areas, um, Commissioner, you mentioned about how science continues to figure out this virus. And so one of the things that was updated was um, how to handle close contacts and the quarantine guidance. Um, As we all know, that has changed over the course of the pandemic and recommendations from the CDC and public health have changed. And so that was one of the bigger things that we um, updated in the guidance um, was part of that and what had been set forth by those um, two agencies. And then we also, added a chart or updated a chart with um, possible scenarios and situations that childcare programs can can face um, and what steps they can do um, or should do um, when dealing with those situations um, if if they get them. And then lastly, we added, um, we had some forms in the guidance and we made those forms fillable um, so that they could um, fill them out electronically and didn't have to print them, then write on them, and then scan them, um, and those steps. So hopefully um, saving a couple of steps for the child care programs. And April, can I add something to that? Sure. So one of the things that we updated also is 
um, what symptoms to exclude a child based on. So previously in our previous guidance, we were saying any symptom, the child needs to be sent home. But in this new guidance, we move to if they have one of a certain symptom or two of another symptom, um, because we were running into a lot of kids having just runny nose or just a cough. And we didn't feel like that always warranted the child being sent home. So um, we put that in a category with they had to have two symptoms or they had to have one of the major symptoms. For example, one major symptom is loss of taste or smell. We would definitely want that child sent home, but a child with just a runny nose may not need to be sent home. So that was one of the updates we also made. You know, Ebony, we see the COVID-19 updates with Governor Kemp and Dr. Toomey, uh, Commissioner of the Georgia Department of Public Health. In your overall mission, do you hear a lot from child care providers or, or do you think this guidance has been helpful in anticipating their questions and concerns? Um, no, we definitely hear from child care providers a lot. Um, and I think that's just because they are very cognizant of making sure they're doing the best job to protect their children. Um, so we definitely hear from them a lot. They use the guidance, but they like to check in with us, make sure that they're following it correctly. If they're you know, misinterpreting something or they're concerned about misinterpreting something, they definitely call us and ask us for our opinion, which we definitely appreciate. Um, they definitely use it, but they also call us, which mm. is fine. The original guidance posted online has everything from drop-off and arrival to food preparation and meals. Pam and April, what are you hearing the most about and feedback from providers? And do you also hear from parents about this guidance? I'll go first and answer the provider portion. Um, providers like the guidance, and as Ebony said, they use it, but they also want reassurance as we continue to navigate the pandemic on what they are doing. So they still reach out to us. They still reach out to public health um, for that guidance, um, additional guidance, but the guidance document that we published helps them to make decisions on their own. For example, early on in the pandemic, what we saw and we've talked about it on the podcast um, before is many programs made the decision to close the entire program. But now what we see is when they have a positive um, or a probable case in a childcare program, they typically are only um, closing impacted classrooms. And so I think that that as we've learned more and as we've updated the guidance that childcare programs in us, everybody has learned um, that you don't have to close the entire program um, in order to keep other people safe, uh, um, their staff, their children, themselves. Another thing we do is um, around programs sometimes going above and beyond what we require, which is absolutely fine. You know, uh, childcare programs are typically private businesses and they need to do what they need to do to keep their staff and the children and the families safe. So one of the things I love about the guidance is it has, you know, the things that DECAL requires and the things that DECAL recommends. I would say most of our programs are probably doing all the things we recommend because they want to stay safe. And then some of them are even going above and beyond that. And again, they get to do that. They're allowed to do whatever they think is necessary to make sure that they're keeping their family safe. And again, as a reminder, you can find the guidance posted on our website at decal.ga.gov. We've dedicated a full page uh, to all of our COVID uh, information, and we've been tracking that and cataloging it as we 
go along. So you've got the latest information and then you can go back and look at some of the previous information uh, if needed. But again, it's always changing and very fluid and we uh, uh, are posting that and keeping it updated uh, throughout the public health uh, emergency. Uh, Ebony, you know, throughout the pandemic, there's been a lot of focus on face coverings and masks. Um, how is this treated by our guidance in childcare programs? Um, so it's in the guidance as a recommendation. We don't make any requirements. Um, specifically for childcare, it's <clears throat> excuse me, it's a little bit difficult because there are some groups or populations that face coverings aren't recommended for. So for example, children less than two years of age, it's not recommended that they wear a face covering. Um, so while we do recommend it, we don't require any childcare facility to implement mask usage. And Abby, just to be clear, so these are considered the minimum requirements for child care programs. They can always do more. Is that, is that right? Yes, that's correct. Um, any child care provider can decide to require a mask for children over two years of age. They can also decide to require a mask for their um, staff. That's going to be their own individual decision. And we are actually seeing a lot of child care providers um, implement mask usage. So it's just um, whatever they decide to do. I think part of that is, so, is with masks as well is deciding are the children in your care capable of wearing masks safely too? Because, you know, three-year-olds keeping a mask on, you know, you might be finding masks all over, you know, well, here's one in dramatic play and here's one in the library area. <laughs> Wonder who they belong to. You know, that in a way you could increase exposure and spread if it's not safe mask usage, because that's something that's been directly on their face. And, you know, they do have those runny noses and everything. So, you know, I think, teachers have to be careful engaging what is safest for their class. You know, um, when I was a kid, I was the youngest, I was in first grade and I had a retainer. No one else had a retainer and I let everyone in my class try it on. <laughs> so, I mean, this is what we're talking about with kid behavior. So, you know, you have to really watch and make good, careful judgments about your, the children in your care. Right. So true. So that's a fun story. <laughs> <laughs> so let's think about this prior to arriving at school. Is the guidance still for families to be alert to any symptoms and if their children are sick? And, and I know this sounds, you know, kind, kind of cruel in a way, but if your children are sick, please stay home. April, is that still the, the recommendation? Yes, that is still the recommendation and really always has been. <laughs> um, but as Ebony mentioned, she talked about the symptoms um, and how in the guidance we did revise that um, and put, you know, because we did hear um, both us, um, DCAL and DPH, heard from parents um, that having the single symptom, kids get runny noses, they get runny noses all the time, um, and especially in group care. And so um, we still want families to monitor their children, um, especially for fever, and Ebony mentioned the loss of taste and smell. Um, and also in the published guidance, um, there's a link to the CDC's website, which gives the full list of the wide range of symptoms um, that can be. And, you know, if there's one, it's probably not COVID, it could be, and we know that, and we've learned that, um, but there's many things, many symptoms on that list. And also on the CDC's website, um, as a resource for us in the general public, childcare programs, and, and these families that have children enrolled in childcare programs is a mm -hmm. symptom checker or a self-checker. 
um, that can help. Like, this is what I'm experiencing. What should I do? You know, and it'll provide guidance if they should see their primary care physician um, based on what they're experiencing. Well, the guidance also recommends the same member of the family drop off the child each day and to be cautious of using grandparents or others who may be vulnerable. Pam, can you comment on that? Yeah, I mean, that just makes sense because, you know, all, you know, this whole thing is about limiting exposure. And even though parents aren't going into the building and going to classrooms at this point, they're still mostly dropping off at around the same time. You know, the workday is the workday. And so you still have people congregating, even though it's outside and outside is better. It's still a group of people congregating because we're screening kids as they, as they come in. So it takes a minute. And so if you think about if people had different people dropping off every day, that's a whole lot of exposure when we're trying to protect people. So if we can almost have our own childcare pod, it's the best of people who are dropping off every day. We're seeing the same people, again, that's to reduce exposure. And as far as like grandparents or other vulnerable populations, I mean, it's again, we're trying to protect people. And this is group care. And it is, you know, these children are being exposed to other children, which means they're also being exposed to their family to a certain degree. And we're trying to keep it small and keep it contained. And um, this just isn't the time to let people who may be at risk, you know, come in contact with so many other people. And April, along those lines, the guidance also talks a lot about not mixing groups of children and social distancing where possible. Why is that so important? As Pam mentioned, like exposure. I mean, as you you know, uh, combine children or send staff to different classrooms. When there is a case, a confirmed or probable case, you um, have to identify the close contacts. And as you move children around or move staff around in a child care program, um, that group becomes larger and you may have more individuals that have to quarantine um, or have to be excluded from care, which causes different issues, especially if, you, if it's staff in a child care program. Um, and we know that this is difficult. Um, we know, as Pam mentioned, like enrollment is low um, in some programs, um, but we just strongly recommend that you keep the same children, the same staff together as much as possible. Um, and so we, we get it, we hear it, we understand it, but we also want programs to be able to stay open as we talked about, like to only be able to, um, to have to close a classroom or two if there is a case instead of the whole program. And so in the guidance, um, I think it's like page 38 or, or so, it's toward the back, there's a chart about identifying the close contacts. Um, what, um, there's two forms, one where you have to list um, the, um, the close contacts as well as having to figure out who the close contacts are. So the greater than 15 minutes, um, less than six feet, um, where they haven't social distance. And that's hard. And that's hard if you combine um, classes um, over a period of time, because, you know, most children um, and staff are there eight to 10 hours, sometimes a little bit more. Right. So along the same lines of not mixing children and exposure, Pam, I know we're starting to get questions about field trips as summer, as programs are beginning to plan for summer. Um, are field trips still prohibited? And what about transportation? Yes, field trips are still prohibited. And it's, you know, we are allowing transportation, obviously, to and from the program, either from the child's school, the child's home, if you provide that kind of transportation. You know, that's essential and people are taking precautions um, around that transportation. So the field trip restriction is not about the transportation as it is as much as it is about where you're going to end up. 
So if you go into Billy Bob's to roller skate and eat pizza, another group was probably there yesterday and other people were bringing their children. And it's just, it's just too risky at this point. Um, same thing with in-house field trips. If you're inviting the magician in to do a show for the kids, he's probably been to five other centers that week. And so that's why we can't, we just can't risk it. It's, it's again, we're trying so hard. And I think, you know, what's again, important to keep in mind is that 1.7% of our providers have had to close since November 1st. And if you think about November, December, and the first part of January, the numbers were skyrocketing. And so whatever we're doing is working. And so we just have to hang on a little bit longer. This is not the time as numbers are coming down, which is great. And, you know, as we're experiencing success and we're feeling good about the response in childcare, we need to continue because again, why would we mess with something that is working so well? Ebony, let's move out to one of the popular places in any childcare program. That's the playground. Is it still best to stagger the groups heading outside? And, and what about cleaning and sanitizing in those areas? Yeah, so as April just mentioned, it's always going to be better to keep children with a certain pod, and that includes also being outside on the playground. So it's still best to stagger um, children, and so having one specific group outside at one time or making sure they're separated um, into different areas is still best practices just so as April mentioned, if there happens to be a case, we can do quick contact tracing. And we're also making sure that we limit exposure. Well, we've already talked a little bit about our licensing rules and how they already address hygiene, sanitizing, and disinfection. How does COVID-19 increase that attention? Um, Ebony, you want to talk about our licensing rules? <laughs> <laughs> Please, no. Um, I do know that um, from working with DECAL so closely, it seemed like DECAL had pretty strict um, cleaning and hygiene standards in place prior to COVID, um, but I won't go into details because I'm not the subject matter expert there. But Good yeah, to know. I mean, Good to know. <laughs> we were doing well though before, so that's great. Right, and I think, I think that's why in a way we've had such, such success because, um, you know, all the, it, it's funny, you know, cause they, if people are um, sometimes fed up with us, it can be about hand washing. It's like, how many times do you have to wash your hands? How many steps are there to diaper changing? And it's like, now we get to go, yeah, told you. Yeah, that's, you know, I mean, it's, it's kind of like, you know, these are the safest way to do things. And, and the truth is, our practices always needed to be different than like elementary school, because babies are different than five-year-olds and six-year-olds and seven-year-olds. I mean, we know the way, you know, and, and little children play so closely together. There's a lot of contacts. We just, you know, we've always had to be so careful about sanitation and hygiene. And, and this, and if anything, I think the biggest differences are around like the pre-screening and stuff. We never did that before. You didn't have to screen a child before they came. But in the classroom, and April speak to this as well, I mean, it's not hugely different. Right. Um, and what I was thinking as you were talking, Pam, is early in the pandemic when supplies, um, when no one could find anything, um, we were hearing from child care providers and public health and the CDC helped us to, to guide them excuse me, on, on what other alternative products they could use. And I think that we probably <clears throat> have learned something, you know, disinfectant, sanitizing, what it means and what other products you can use. And so I think 
many programs have probably broadened that um, and stepped outside of their box just because of supply chain. What about uh, meals? We're still recommending eating in classrooms, I guess, versus the cafeteria or a common dining area, Pam? Right. Just again, the same thing that we've been <clears throat> talking about this whole time around um, keeping kids in the same group all the time is the safest way to go. Um, you know, when you bring a bunch of classrooms together in the cafeteria, it's just not the safest thing to do. And I think that there are some things we cannot control. Like if a teacher gets sick and we have to call in a substitute, we have to do that. And that's not somebody who, you know, that, that increases exposure, but you, I mean, we have no choice. This we can control, this we can do, that we can. And so what we need to be doing is all those things that are within our control that reduce exposure. And so that we have fewer and fewer things that might put us more at risk. And so again, we need to keep doing what's working so well. I think what's gonna be interesting too, post pandemic for the whole world, but plus childcare is what do we decide to keep? Mm. You know, what do we decide our practices? Like, like April said, we've learned more. We've learned more about how to, about more products and how to sanitize them. And, and, and I think it's just going to be interesting moving forward, how we all are and how this changes us and our practices long-term. Yeah, I agree. So one of the really nice things, and I don't know if I talked about this on the last podcast, it's just the relationship that's been yes. built between public health and decal. And I definitely want to keep that going forward. Us too. Us it's been forward. so helpful. Um, it's just been such a great relationship and I'm hopeful for future projects. So that's definitely something I want to keep. You can't get rid of me. <laughs> well, See, Ebony, I, I was going to say, we're, ne we're never going to let you go, Ebony. <laughs> <laughs> I know when we, when we can see each other in person, I think I can walk to your office from my office. So maybe lunch or something. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And we already have a list started, right, Ebony, of what we're going to work on? <laughs> yes, I have, a, I have a very long list. I'm very excited. You know, so, when you think about practices changing too, like when you watch movies and stuff or see things from the past, you see big groups of people huddled together and people greeting each other with a hug. It's like, oh my goodness. You know, it just seems so startling now. Like, will we ever go back to those things? It's so yeah. funny. <laughs> Will the handshake ever be socially acceptable again? You know, it's... And I'm, I'm a fan of the handshake, so I kind of I'm sad about that. <laughs> It'll take some time yeah. uh, to get back into that routine. Okay, so April, um, can you walk us through the process when a provider does have a confirmed case of COVID? Who do they call, and do programs need to have an isolated area of the building for symptomatic individuals? Yeah, um, I'll start with what to do if somebody becomes ill. If a child or a staff member becomes ill and during the day, they do need to isolate them until they're able to go home, until a parent is a, or a family member is able to come and get the child. And so we do want that to happen because we don't want other people to be exposed. Um, if it's COVID or even if it's something else, just a, um, a regular, what we deal with, you know, communicable disease-wise, um, pre-pandemic and, you know, before. Um, and then if there is a confirmed or probable case, um, first, we want them to report it to, to start by reporting to the local health district and the forms and the guidance um, allow them to do that. Um, and it's on pages 32 to 34. I talked about them a little bit earlier um, as we've been talking. And then on page 35 is the close contacts um, where they have to list out individuals by name. Um, so public health can make the decision on reaching out to them and doing contact tracing. 
and all of those fun things that public health has guided programs and all of us um, during this. And then um, based on the specifics of the case, because every case will have their different variables, um, the local health districts will provide guidance on what to do, um, whether to close the entire program. And as I've mentioned, that typically is not the case. Typically, um, it may be just close a classroom for deep cleaning for the rest of the day or a day or whatever. Um, and many of those, as we've talked, um, those decisions are business decisions that the childcare programs get to make on their own. Um, really, um, the local health districts aren't going to, you know, to say close an entire center. We aren't seeing that. Um, and those are decisions that the business owners get to make. And then once um, public health has been notified, then what we um, ask providers is to log into their Decal Koala account. Um, and we added the ability to report it to us. And so they would go to required reporting. Um, and there's other things there, but they can choose COVID-19. And then there's specific questions that we ask, um, slightly different um, than what public health is asking for. Um, but we want to know the ages and the number of children um, impacted, um, the staff and the roles of the staff, because there are different roles. There's floaters and there's um, cooks and, you know, there's bus drivers because we still have children that are transported to and from home um, and to make those indications. And we do have a list of um, what did they do? What steps did they take um, to do that? Did they close the entire program? Did they make that decision um, to close for a day or two? Um, did they only close classrooms um, and all of that? And now because childcare programs have to report any temporary closure to us, if they did make the decision to close the entire program, um, they don't have, they can do it in one place, um, reporting that um, there. They don't then have to do a required report for the temporary closure. And so um, we've made it easier, you know, we've tweaked it a little bit as we've gone, we've learned a lot. Um, but I think as Pam said, we're able to identify where cases are better than we did back in March of last year. All right, great information from uh, everybody today. Again, we wanna remind you, to, by the way, to put this in perspective of, on a timeline, uh, consideration. We are uploading, uh, uploading this podcast on March 3rd, 2021, the anniversary of our first podcast on COVID for the child care community was March 16th, 2020. We are coming up on one year. And uh, as hard as that is to believe, here we are. But again, we've learned a lot. So go to decal.ga. Dot gov, you'll find our COVID page, and uh, we have updated it with uh, how we uh, outline the information. You'll see the great information that's coming in from uh, the Department of Public Health on the number of COVID cases, uh, confirmed cases by county, a little color map there for you to show you uh, the situation day by day. Then underneath that, COVID-19 documents, and they're broken down by um, executives, uh, commissioners, COVID updates, webinars uh, that we post, uh, CCS caps and provider documents. You go to CCS and you just expand uh, that uh, file and you'll see right underneath there um, DPH COVID-19 guidance for Georgia child care programs, January 2021. That's the information we're talking about uh, on today's podcast.
Well, Pam, April, Ebony, thanks again for joining us again. You'll find the updated guidance on our COVID page at decal.ga.gov. And Commissioner, once again, let's remind everyone, beginning March 8th, Georgia child care teachers and staff and Georgia's pre-K program teachers are eligible for COVID-19 vaccines. Your advice to them is what? Please go ahead and register at myvaccinegeorgia.com or check the DPH site for your local health department or for those pharmacies and grocery stores that are in your area. Um, I believe a lot of them are doing some pre-registration, so you can go ahead and get an appointment um, and know when you're eligible for that. Now, the governor has said, you know, we still don't have quite enough to get everybody, so you got to be a little bit patient, um, but go ahead and register because I've heard really good things that those sites are really working quickly and vaccinating a lot of folks every day. And so um, we've had more access than ever. And then we just heard there's a new vaccine coming out with uh, that requires just one dose as opposed to the two doses. So I think that's going to help with the supply as well. So please uh, just go ahead and register. We want to keep you safe. All right. Make sure you do that. Uh, we will continue to remind you of that on our social media. Uh, several of your coworkers, teachers and uh, child care providers are helping us get the message out there. So we want to thank them. Uh, again, big news, and we want everyone to take full advantage of uh, this expanded uh, availability of the COVID-19 vaccines. Now your questions from the water cooler. Hi, my name is Katherine Broussard, and I work in the Child Care Services Division in Atlanta. My question for Commissioner Jacobs is, what do you remember most about working with your parents at a child care program? Well, Catherine, uh, good to hear from you. And there's so many things I remember uh, from working alongside my parents in their child care programs. Probably the first thing that comes to mind is just the long hours that they worked. I mean, it's definitely not just a five day a week business. It's constant. It's seven days a week. It's more than 12 hours a day sometimes, always making sure that um, you have what you need to support your teachers and your children and your families. And I have to give a special shout out to the consultant that was pretty consistent at uh, the program that my mom was at day to day, who was Terry Giles. And she, although retired from DECAL, has come back um, as a contractor with us and still does some work from us. And it was funny when I came to DECAL to actually get to meet her. And she remembered my mother and that program. And they actually had a really good relationship. Um, so that was, that was fun. You know, that's the thing that I, uh, we've mentioned it a few times, yep. but our consultants build relationships with these providers because they see them year in and year out. And uh, I, I think, you know, when there are any shortcomings or needs that need to be addressed, I think our folks are just as concerned about getting that addressed. They work together as a team, really. Exactly. It's not a I gotcha mentality, although I'm sure sometimes it might feel like that, but that's definitely not the purpose of our CCS consultants. We're there to help the program. And what did you do specifically? Working? Oh, I did whatever I had to do. <laughs> um, you know, go in the infant room to keep the ratios intact, go to the grocery store, um, unload the food order, you know, work the front desk, answer the phones, pick up trash. Like I did whatever was needed. I was kind of the filler. Um, and it was, it was eye-opening. <laughs> yeah, I bet. That's great. Time for my favorite part of the podcast, and that's uh, our opportunity to give you a chance at winning a nice prize in the Decal Download Quiz. We'll draw one name from all the correct answers to this question. Who was today's guest 
from the Georgia Department of Public Health. Who was today's guest from the Georgia Department of Public Health? Email your response to decal download at decal.ga.gov. We'll put all the correct answers together. Draw out one name at random and you'll be the winner. Thanks for playing and good luck. Thanks for tuning in to Decal Downloads. For more information, visit our website at decal.ga.gov. The conversation continues on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest. Follow Commissioner Jacobs on Twitter at C-O-M-M Jacobs.